Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about disabled anime characters. I know we kind of had a little segment in a prior episode where we briefly talked about it, but. I think it's always good to show some direct spotlight on characters with traits that we don't usually see in media and more specifically anime since this is what the girl taku is all about. So in that case, with that very short intro, Isabel, it is your turn to kick off the episode. So what are two disabled characters or more, uh, two or more disabled anime characters that have stood out to you in regards to their representation of disability, as well as overall to just the heart of their character? Yeah, the first character um, that came to my mind was Inspector's Kotoko. Wow, you stole mine. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Right out right the Right out the <laughs> Yay. I know, but please continue as well. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking about her. I was like, Gracie might think about this one because, you know, you had just watched Inspector and at Anime Expo. So yep, yep. Mm. I think she's a great example, though, because, you know, Kotoko has everything going for her. She's visually am- impaired. She's an amputee. And because of that, she uses a cane. But none of that really distracts her from what she's um, supposed to be doing, you know, with the yokai and even confessing her love to Kuro. She does not care. She doesn't let her disability get in the way even though you know Kuro ends up having to save her most of the time and does a lot of the fighting even though and she just bravely goes in there like yes I can totally beat them up with a cane I don't care if my prosthetic leg just pops out I'm on one leg now you know um it's always so funny to see her in those different forms where she she just you know she's able to cope with it and she doesn't she doesn't bring anyone uh, down really because of it, um, and it is a sacrifice that she made in order to be in order to serve the spirits and things like that. So she accepts that. I think I would be scared if I were at her age. Like I don't know when she lost her eye, maybe at the age of eleven or something. It was very young when she when she did that, and Kuro went through a similar thing, but it's different, and. But yeah, I just I just thought, you know, she's a main character as well, which you don't see very often in anime. And but yeah, those are like the first thoughts I have of her. What what did you think, Gracie? I think she has so much fire with her, which is what I love, of course, is seeing that fire in a character that is an amputee and also visually impaired. I think another thing is usually disabled anime characters or disabled characters as a whole in the manga sort of anime atmosphere is there's some level of angst, you know, associated with their disability and stuff like that, which is understandable because obviously being disabled in a society that very much favors abled bodies is very hard and does cause angst. But I also think it's really powerful to see a character where that 
not the thing that gives her angst at all. Like she adapts to it. She adapts to it and she works with it. And it doesn't make her any less powerful, any less strong as a character or any less personable in her personality. If anything, like her personality is so funny. Like she, she's an absolute troll and she flirts and she knows like, you know, she flirts with Kuro a lot. And the fact that she's like, you know, praise me because I know I look good and stuff like that. Like that sort of confidence is really, really great to see. And I, and that's definitely what stood out to me as well about her as a disabled anime protagonist. So yeah. I have no other thoughts because I also agree with Gracie in the fact that Koto, uh, Koto has like a lot of fire and that she is the main protagonist. And although she isn't involved in a lot of the fight scenes and whatnot, she very much is a character a part of the scene you don't feel like she's just sitting there and doing nothing she actively explains and unlocks a lot of the mystery although i have to say like inspector for setting up uh koto um the her as kind of like the main character it kind of just sort of drags on a little bit even though she has she is like an amputee and representing a disabled person in anime media oh yes i think we uh was it you isabel who talked about inspector as being like a bad adaptation where you yeah. you like the characters but the way they execute a story the story for an anime format just wasn't it i believe it was you right <laughs> yeah it yeah, the, just the story is kind of, it's like, I think it's a better read than it is better, you know, watching. Uh, that was what we discussed in our episode. Um, and so, yes, you know, she's a great character. And I think a lot of people would like her character because of the way that, you know, she's dressed and how she acts. Um, but yeah, the story just doesn't help because of, because they could dive so deep into the mysteries and explain things and explain things from a different point of view. The exposition <laughs> dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exposition in anime tends to be quite a lot, too, so that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know if you two remember reading it, even in my uh, Inspector 2, the special screening that Anime Expo did, but it was, once again, all that dialogue exposition. I'm like, you guys have great characters, you, you just need to utilize them in a better way so uh but yeah no i get what you're saying but i think it kind of falls more into the way that the anime execute it rather than in regards to the character itself i do want to make a quick point is that isabel had mentioned briefly and sorry isabel if i'm taking this talking point away from you but you know isabel mentioned how she has a cane and i really want to talk about that because i think in anime, we're kind of used to seeing disabled characters acting very abled in a way since, you know, thinking off the top of my head with, I hope I'm not poaching anyone's, but thinking off the top of my head of like Fulmina Alchemist, you know, the main character Edward is very much a disabled character. He doesn't have his leg and his arm, but the way that the world works with his automail, he is very abled in many, many circumstances. And so... With Kot uh, with Kotoko actually Iwanagi Iwanagi Kotoko with her actually using a cane where she has like a slightest limp from the way that she walks, I felt like was really important because I I saw a tweet the other day from a person a disabled person who started using a cane at a very young age and she she or he they they currently are still quite a young individual and an older woman actually asked them and was like you know was it scary starting to use the cane because the older woman is no longer able to walk as steadily as she used to anymore and she explained like sort of her experience of how 
much you fear the way people are going to look at you when you start using a cane, but then you realize that your safety of just being able to walk with, you know, assurance without fear of falling face flat on the ground and, you know, potentially hurting yourself physically very badly ultimately overrules the emotional discourse of using a cane and knowing that people will look at you. And that was a very powerful tweet that went viral, which is why I saw it because it was suggested because of the fact it was viral. But it also did kind of make me think of Kotoko where it's like, yes, like she is one of the few anime characters we've ever seen use, use a cane much less a young character. We usually see older anime characters with kings, and it and you can kind of say that it's because they're older, so they need it to, to walk steady. But in the, her case, she is very much in her early 20s. She's younger than all of us here. And she has been using a cane for a very long time to compensate with her amputated leg and her, uh, what is it called? Uh, those legs that you have prosthetics yes with her prosthetics uh, it's still even with prosthetics it is still safer for her to walk with a cane and i thought that that little addition right there was very chef's kiss for me personally so uh so that and that's kind of like why i wanted to pick her originally or i mean i have others so don't worry i've got more to talk about but um but that was the reason why i had picked her first was because of that king usage that she has that i just think is so rare for us to see in these stories was that sort of along the lines of what you were thinking isabel with her usage of the cane or um you know or did i go a little too far <laughs> no yeah i think you I think you were able to speak about it more than I am able to because I just kind of see like surface level. I didn't even think, you know, it just didn't occur to me that, you know, she's a younger character. And if we see canes in anime, it's usually, you know, for older people that actually do need that, you know. Um, so I didn't think of that at all, actually. So it's an interesting point. Oh, well, yay! I'm glad I'm able to contribute something. So uh, is there anything else you want to say about her as a character, Isabel, before we move on? Since I feel like I just took a whole chunk of what was supposed to be your speaking time. <laughs> no, this is why we're sharing the character. This is fun. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I did want to talk about just like the concept of like how in anime they do try to make these characters who may have, you know, disabilities, um, able-bodied. Mm -hmm. uh, like you mentioned full metal alchemist yeah mm -hmm. and i just wonder you know i guess that makes it looks it looks like they're able to do everything and you kind of forget the fact that they even are missing an arm or a leg mm -hmm. and it's it's always something that they try to get later on and sometimes i find i find it funny personally in naruto where sasuke loses his arm and he personally chooses not to get a prosthetic even though he could at some point oh that's right yeah <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, so it's just a thing. It's so that that struck out to me because I'm like, Sasuke, you you should get one. I mean, like you know, every and then like now in Boruto, like there's technology for it, so why not? So yeah, it's even just then, mm -hmm. like the the puppeteers in Naruto had like extra prosthetics and stuff like right. that too. Yeah, so you're it's, right. Like, it's entirely not, and with the amount of, I guess like chakra that Sasuke has, like he can power his own prosthetic if he wants. He's not, it's, he's not limited to it. But I think it's a matter of preference and pride at that point for a lot of these characters if they want or need to have an extra like limb or so. I think the thing with Sasuke is uh, is actually pretty character driven. So one thing is, okay, so he lost his left arm, right? Yes, he lost his left arm. So, uh, yes. so 
the left in uh, so in Japanese sim- symbolism, the left often symbolizes like the more negative emotions, your anger, your hatred, your um, your your desire for revenge and stuff. And the right is always more about like your right hand is about forgiveness. It's about love. It's about friendship. This is actually why there's a lot of symbolism between left and right sides and anime openings. I don't know if you guys have noticed that before, but uh, to. Oh, yeah. Okay, now I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When okay. they do like the, the split panel and this one character on the left staring the left word and the other character stares off to the yeah. right. They're like in a darker tone or tinge. Yes, that's exactly yeah, that. it. And so, uh, you know, on the left is usually your worst influence and then on the right is your better influence. And so... Anyway, so I think it's symbolic in the fact that when Sasuke lost his left arm, he didn't want it back because that was him officially stating that he is moving on. He is letting go of all this, all these negative emotions that have completely controlled his life, completely told him what to do and what he should want. And now he is doing what he wants personally and what he actually likes to do. So that's probably the bigger reason as to why, like a character-driven reason as to why he never got the prosthetic. Additionally, on top of that, um, Sasuke was always ambidextrous. That was like a unique sort of fun fact about him. So he didn't, like he doesn't lose any particular like, capabilities like the same way that if I lost my right arm I would be helpless like I would definitely need a prosthetic (laughs) because I am just so extraordinarily right-handed that there's just no way but with Sasuke he's always been ambidextrous where he can switch between the hands so even if he lost his left hand it's like he can still write he can do he can cook he can well I mean he doesn't cook but he can um he can like still do his normal activities with his right hand no problem so that's another reason as to why like he doesn't care as much about him losing his left arm versus Naruto who has always been very right-handed as well in the story like he would not be able to write without it so yeah (laughs) right right right. yeah was that your second pick or did we just like kind of go off on a tangent real quick (laughs) no that was that was a little tangent yeah (laughs) okay okay so that was a fun tangent um did that answer sort of what you were trying to discuss or ask or did we just kind of go off on my character analysis part (laughs) No, yeah, I, I really like the character analysis as well. But yeah, that's pretty much I was going for with that. Just wanted to speak more on that and maybe compare characters as well. Um, but we can move on to my second one. Uh, my second one is actually like, she's a side character, but she's also main character. So it's kind of different. It's okay. kind of weird, but it's from Mekaku City Actors. Um, oh. And her name is Takane Anomoto also known as N.A. N.A. is the, one of the main characters in the series. Um, she's kind of like the little cyber computer girl um, that hangs out with Shintaro, and she does basic things like, you know, tell him the weather, and basically anything that she's able to connect to with electricity, um, she can, you know, connect with him. And just and she really is a happy type of girl, um, cyber girl living in there, but what her disability was before is that before she became this little cyber like fairy <laughs> i guess um she was she was also human she was a student uh, that uh, also went to the same school as uh Shintaro and uh she actually had uh narcolepsy and she was completely a completely different type of character because of her kind of disability there 
And it's because she would always fall asleep, right, in school. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, it contributed to her illness. And she was, um, she was always crappy because, you know, if she's falling asleep and waking up, she's always like not going to be paying attention at school and things like that. And so she tried to like act really, she tried to act cool and uh, approachable to her classmates. But in reality, she felt really terrible about herself. Oh. And um, so, yeah. And, and then even though she wanted to be with some, uh, one of her classmates, like she wanted to confess to him and, you know, experience that type of love, but she never felt like she could do that uh, because she's being like, held back um, by what she's being experiencing and just, I guess she also had some type of depression as well because she was sad about her situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So eventually when she actually lost her body two years later, um, she, she totally changed. Like now that she's not sleeping anymore because she basically doesn't sleep. um, And she's able to hang out um, with her classmates in a different type of way, which makes her a lot happier. So I was happy to see that, but I think it was, interesting to see in Mekaku City actress this you know happy girl um that kind of looks like Miku um because Mekaku City actress I think is based on type of like I think it's based on like music so she might be Miku (laughs) no 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 no. it's a music project it's a music project originally okay (laughs) yeah that's right it's a music project so yeah she has that type of feel like very um she's very different from what she used to be so i thought her backstory was very interesting and i never actually thought of narcolepsy as a disability either um but when you actually look at it you're missing a lot of your time and it interrupts your daily activities and i only learned more about that watching videos either on facebook or tiktok and things like that of how people just are able to record what their day is like now and if it happens multiple times, you know, it just it just messes with your, you know, daily life. And so if you do end up working and things like that, it's it's required for uh, for employers to try to accommodate for that, if possible, to give you, you know, more breaks throughout the day and things like that. I wish there was a way for schools to do that, you know, but teaching, I feel like that would be different because yeah. teaching goes on throughout the day. And I don't know how you know, students would be able to deal with that, which is why I understand how NA felt felt like that when she was in school, at least. Yeah, I want to say that I have a friend, a really close friend of mine from college, his younger brother actually has narcolepsy. And it's considered like kind of like special needs because he would actually like fall asleep in class and stuff like that, too. Like on a dime, like mm-hmm. he doesn't he, he doesn't have to even think about it. And all of a sudden he's just falling asleep. So it impedes on his schedule in school and also trying to like, catch up with his classes and stuff like that. And thankfully, because he's like kind of like in a program that kind of helps him address his certain needs, it alleviate some of the pressure from his own family from handling that burden but i cannot imagine how bad it would be in a japanese school setting where the reason that you're lagging behind is because you have narcolepsy but there's no drugs there's no kind of therapy to kind of like help you out and school in japan as we all know is very heavily driven by competition heavily driven by success in classes and it would be very heavily stigmatized by falling asleep in class being like you're lazy or something like that and i completely forgot that takane actually had narcolepsy because i also watch makaku city actors too but it's a great way to point out that takane now that she's 
no longer having that burden of her narcolepsy and that she can use her uh, her eyes power yeah. that all the characters have to revive herself and put herself in electronic devices, she's now so hyperactive to do all the things that she couldn't do before. And video games was the only way that she could kind of connect with the real world because the video games she could just play at her own time rather than need to play catch up. So that was a really nice touch too. So I have never even heard about narcolepsy. Like there was a brief moment where I wanted to ask like how common this disease is and if it's even real because, you know, just saying it out loud, I was just like, wait, that's a thing? Because I have heard of people who will uh, who, who will like pass out randomly and those people tend to have to be in a wheelchair because when they pass out, it's just very randomized and it's obviously very dangerous because if you're, you know, if you're standing up and you just pass out, you can hit your head and potentially even die. So that's this is my first time hearing about how people can just like fall asleep and they don't really have a control over that. I like I have to ask Agnes because you said you know someone with that. Like, does that run risk as well where maybe they're walking and they just fall asleep and like something dangerous could happen or potentially because it is considered a brain disorder? Um, so it's very possible that you could literally, like, while walking, you could decide to pass out, uh, or not you decide, but your brain decides to pass out and you end up sleeping. So it was a bit of a burn, I think, if my friend didn't tell me too many details because I didn't pry, you know, it's his own family right, matters. Right. But I would imagine that it was really difficult for his family, especially because they were Asian immigrants running a restaurant oh. at the time. So it was it was pretty tense because his younger brother had narcolepsy. You know, he can't help out the family or anything like that. Um, and he has to have like kind of like a, a semi-special needs program to help him out. But overall, there are medications that I think that could help the body a little bit more. I have to actually read up more about it because I don't know much about it myself. Okay. Well but it is, it does exist. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are cases where people do randomly fall asleep and it is rather dangerous that they do. Yeah, no, that's, um, thank you for telling me this. And I've, I've definitely learned something new today with this. And it's, I think it's actually pretty incredible that there's an anime that would have a character that not only didn't, use it as a comedic effect because that's the thing is i could see this being used in anime as them being like oh no they fell asleep again and it's like so funny when in reality it's yeah. actually really hard so the fact that it really is built into her character and you know and it leads her to where she is currently in the story and stuff i'm really really impressed by that so that's just an incredible choice that you made there isabel <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. And I was just looking up stat statistics on that, you know, since you did ask the question. I don't know if this is right, but the first search that came up with narcolepsy does affect about one in 2000 people in the United States. Yeah, slash West it's Europe. pretty rare. I saw in another mm -hmm. article that it said, like, I think it's like one out of 30,000 in the UK. So it's even more rare across uh, certain countries as well. Yeah, there's like varying levels, like some people might not have it as bad as others. So it's like not maybe not very obvious, right? So it could go like undiagnosed as well. Interesting. Well, uh, this has been very eye opening for me. So I'm so glad we have this episode, even though we talked about it very briefly in another one. This is why we need an entire episode dedicated to it. So yeah, uh, did you have any other anime characters you wanted to cover, Isabel? Or are you ready to pass the baton? <laughs> 
Yeah, I am ready to pass the baton. Who's next? Is it Agnes? It is Agnes. I pray you don't poach any of mine. So <laughs> I don't. I don't think my first choice will be poached by you because I don't think you watch this okay, one. Okay, great. So, so we'll start off with that one. So the first one that I want to talk about is a character from a very beloved. Well, beloved is a bit of a stretch, but the OVA is very beloved. Is Sao's mother's Rosario Konoyuki or Zekin, known in the Alfin Heart Online world. Um, I wanted to talk about Yuki because Yuki was somebody who had AIDS, uh, HIV. Oh, in her and oh. her past history. The information about uh, Yuki is actually not revealed in the anime. Uh, it's more like revealed that she had like a condition, a medical condition. But I think it's more talked about in the actual light novel. So to start off with Mother's Rosario, this was an OVA that was released in Sword Art Online uh, in between the end of the fairy type of like arc in Sword Art Online, the, the fairy dance arc, and the um, the Gun Gale Online season two. And the OVA was released because they wanted to kind of spotlight Asuna's and her role in all of the... Um, I guess, like, the, the segments of Sword Art Online. And in Mother's Rosario, it is rumored that in Elfenheart Online, there is an unbeatable duelist that goes by the nick that goes by the username of Zekin. They have never lost a fight, even against the strongest of characters. So Kirito and Asura decide to have a duel with her. So they would go one at a time and have a duel with her. As much as we say that Kirito is the badass protagonist that never loses and therefore he's overpowered he actually lost against second like he's straight up lost against her because he didn't anticipate her special sword combo which is an 11 hit strike combo which is a lot and is dubbed as mother's rosario even asuna lost the fight against her as a so-called commander of one of the biggest guilds in the original sword online and Zekin reveals themselves to be known as Konoyuki in real life. And because Asuna and Konoyuki kind of share that Yuki, I think, surname or part of their name, they really bonded, similar to how Gracie uh, bonded with a lot of the older women who are also named Gracie. Hey, Something hey, hey, similar hey. to that regard, right? I also bond <laughs> a- with pet dogs named Gracie. <laughs> oh. Yeah, pet dogs named Gracie. Ouch. <laughs> um, and as a result, they got really close. And as... Asuna got to know Yuki a little bit more. She discovered that Yuki is a leader of a very small party known as the Sleeping Knights that are composed of terminally ill patients that play virtual reality games as a sort of palliative care. So, so kind of like um, therapy or just something to pass the time while they are bedridden because they're terminally ill patients. They will die soon. And they told Asuna that they wanted to immortalize their name in Alfenhard Online. Uh, Alfenhard Online, sorry, um, in the in the game itself. And the way that they would do that is to clear world first in one of the hardest dungeons in that MM, in that uh, virtual MMO. Asuna would be the last person to fill their slot because, unfortunately, one of their other members had passed away and they couldn't clear the content. So the entirety of Mother's Rosario is Asuna joining in the efforts and uncovering bits and secrets about Yuki's past. And I wanted to talk about Yuki because it was really surprising to know that she was somebody who was affected by HIV. Uh, when she was younger, uh, when she was actually about to be born, her family had to get a cesarean section and get an, a blood transfusion to get her out safely. But unfortunately, there was an error in the blood transfusion that had HIV 
in the bloodstream. And as a result, the HIV blood, the blood transfusion would infect her mother, herself, and then her younger sister that would be born afterwards. And thus the family was infected. One by one, they started dying off. And she was the only one that was left alive. She tried to go to school as normal because as we know, HIV does not always yield to AIDS. Yes, that is correct. Um, mm-hmm. And so she tried to live her life fairly normally, but because you know HIV and AIDS is still very stigmatized all around the world, and probably even more so in Japan, where medical care is not um, handled right to some of these patients, she was very much ostracized by a lot of the schools and had to transfer. And eventually, over time, in her teenage years, her immune uh, condition collapsed. Mm. Her body eventually collapsed. She got pneumonia. As a result, she contracted pneumonia and became a terminally ill patient. And she spends her days playing an online virtual MMO as a means of kind of like enabling herself in this world where she can run, she can talk, she can interact and socialize with people and be the best person in the game. And that was being the absolute blade known as Zekin in the game. And it was just so interesting to know about that story and to see her, you know, be super bright and cheerful, kind of like um, Kotone, who takes their condition and turns it in the best situation for themselves and never asks for pity. Because as we know, Zekin is the most powerful Blade Master uh, user in the game, and therefore she's not somebody to be pitied. But she still openly greets everybody with like a smile. She's very energetic, and she's very gutsy. And so a lot of the audience members really fell in love with her. And at the end of Mother's Rosario, when they finally cleared the dungeon and etched their names on the the world record... um, stone that would record how many people had completed the dungeon she would eventually pass away and asuna would honor her memory afterwards and so it was really cool to just listen to that and watch it and feel like a lot of emotions towards it and really think like oh yeah kono yuki's like best girl in this ova for sure you're like making me emotional just describing what happened <laughs> stuff like that. yeah i know it's really emotional like every i remember like the ovas weren't a super big hit because the other ova that was squashed in with it is the the swimsuit arc ah um, yes the like, swimsuit eh, arc know, <laughs> typical typical sort of online shenanigans you know but mother's rosario a lot of people really love mother's rosario and i think even now if someone mentions it somebody be like oh my god yeah i cried <laughs> while watching Aww. that yeah it's really good i would say it's a really nice step away from the typical like sort of online franchise of Kirito being OP. You know, there's a weird like mystery with the MMORPs and etc. I also wanted to point out that with the with that kind of like setting in Mother's Rosario, it reminds me a lot of and it kind of almost foresaw what would become currently today, is that a lot of YouTubers and virtual YouTubers are also people with certain medical conditions and they can't leave the house, but they use online gaming, streaming, and being like a personified avatar to like interact with people. And probably one of the biggest people that I would think that also have a disability and would use streaming as a platform and, you know, being online and stuff like that and having a persona and an avatar would be Iron Mouse, who is uh, a very close friend of Sea Dogs from Trash Taste Podcast. They do a lot of like joint uh, collaborations and stuff like that. She's also has a medical condition and she's confined in her house. And then also like Corpse Husband, um, who is really famous after 
being friends with offline TV and being and playing uh, Among Us. He had a condition where he had so much anxiety that it wrecked his throat, which is why he has that signature low voice. But his anxiety is so bad that he stays at home. He has like a, a person, like a an avatar that talks for him, um, because he doesn't want people to see him. He's very like anxious when he leaves the house. So I thought that was really interesting how Mother's Rosario, even though this was an OVA. And a side story segment that was written like years ago, it kind of foretells what we have currently now where technology has really helped a lot of these people who can't leave their home, but they can still do something and be socially active and make money out of it as well. Yeah, you took one of my points uh, that I was going to say based on listening to this is the fact that, you know, a lot of people have been critical of how technology has changed our world, which is completely understandable there are absolutely bad things that's happened because of technology but i think it's important to remember that there's always two sides of a coin you know it's or like a double-edged sword or whichever phrase idiom that you want to use because i'm very bad at idioms and so but you know technology has had really bad things occur but then there are these really great things with you know i it makes me think of you know there is now hearing aids and a color correction eyeglasses have become so much more powerful like you see videos of people who are colorblind and they get to see color for the first time and it's amazing for them you know and that's great and um or hearing aids of those like you know videos of children or babies really listening to their mom's voice the first time and the way their like eyes light up because they suddenly realize they can hear something of you know that belongs to someone they love and stuff and that's also very incredible and so i think like this and minkaku city uh actors both show that positive side of technology of which, yeah, it's really helped people connect to a community, people who probably wouldn't have been able to based on what it was like before. So, uh, so exactly. Yeah, so that was my one point. And the other point I wanted to say based on just listening to you guys so far, since I'm the last one, is I really like how we kind of diversified the disabled anime characters we've picked because I think sometimes people have like two concepts of what, to say a disability is it's either you were born with it or it's either you got into an accident and something's happened but i think you know disability coming from illness specifically i i think it kind of just leaves people's minds a lot including mine like i'm i'm not you know i'm not special in the fact that i remember that sort of things no i also kind of i also forget that disability can occur when a healthy person got particularly sick and that sickness made them disabled and so obviously what you just said with um you know the character having hiv that's that example of originally being healthy and became disabled after getting sick and i think it's really important that we show how wide of a net it can be in regards to when disability occurs so yeah absolutely yeah um And it's really fulfilling to see these characters on screen do what they want to do, even though like their medical disability continues to hinder them as well. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, all right. So that is your first pick. What is your second pick then? So my second pick is a little bit more closer to the fantasy side. And I wanted to highlight in particular was Mekumaru from uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, Neku- and oh, Me- Mekumaru, the robot okay, guy. Okay, 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 got it. Yeah, 
So one thing that was really interesting about Mekumaru, because when we meet Mekumaru in Jujutsu Kaisen, he's this big robot guy. And all of us, I think, are sitting there thinking to ourselves, like, why is there a big robot guy fighting against, you know? <laughs> why users, is a robot right? like here? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that weird genre shift of, like, magic and robots in the same universe. And you're kind of like that. Like, that's kind of stupid, right? And especially considering that the Kyoto team, for in Jujutsu Kaisen are like typical Jujutsu sorcerers and sorceresses. So they have like um very like traditional base powers rather than in the Tokyo side, everyone's a little bit more like unique and kind of like a little bit more creative and fun with their abilities. And it turns out that Mekumaru is was actually born with the curse. He was born with several curses that and that disables him from actually going outside from leaving his house. And that he is particularly bedridden in a pool, uh, in a bathtub that is like a pool. It looks like a pool of blood to give him kind of like that creepy vibe. But it's essentially um, a pool that is supposed to like magically heal him. And he has a lot of bandages on him. And he has a lot of um, like curse uh, talismans on him to even keep him alive. And he claims to people that... You know, as Mekumaru, if he even tries to step out of his house, he will be burned alive by the sun as a very rare. It's not really a medical condition, but it's a curse that he was born with and that he was a failure in his family. So even though he has a mass reserve of um, cursed energy that is inside of him. So instead of, you know, being a useless body that eventually rots away, he decides to take that cursed energy of his and infuse it in a robot and learn uh, into like a, a mechanical person thing and learn how to control it from a distance. And as you see in the anime, Mekumaru is extraordinarily adroit, like very agile in the entire fight scene that he has against Panda in Jujutsu Kaisen. And it really makes you feel like, wow, this guy actually has... So for a guy that is bedridden in a pool of healing herbs and like magic and stuff like that, he know he's like so finely tuned with his robot that he's able to control like its movements and be super powerful in like martial arts and stuff like that. And he's controlling it from a distance. Like how does he even know what sensation feels like if he's never actually been able to feel it in the first place, you know? So I thought that was really interesting that they have that kind of diversity in Kaisen and kind of use it as a, an arc to kind of show like his angst arc as well that we talked about earlier with uh, a lot of these disabled characters having traumatic pasts. Yeah, no, uh, Mekumaru, and I remember the arc with him, with like him fighting Panda, ended up being really emotional because it was revealed yes. that even though he has mobility in a sense, he's still ultimately stuck with his physical body, and that's really hard still. You know, there is still a yeah. sense of distance between him and the other characters because he physically quite literally can't reach them, and Panda kind of understands as someone that was created, you know, not as like a normal person and also had, you know, siblings that quote unquote died, but really they failed in the experiments in regards to their creation. So there's like an artificiality to it that Panda really connected with Mekamaru on that Mekamaru never really felt understood on because everyone's like oh you can move you can still see the world you can still you know hear what's going on so you're fine while 
you know, he's like, it's not as real because it's not my physical body. And I'm still kind of stuck in this physical body, even if I have that kind of mobility. So, uh, so I'm glad you picked that one. It completely flew over my head in remembering, but you're absolutely right about his, you know, disability and sort of like his presence in the story as that disabled anime character. Isabel, what did you think of Mechmaru? Yeah, I just remember that fight as well with uh, Panda and how, like you said, how Panda really connected with him and based on appearance as well, because Panda also states that, you know, he's, you know, he doesn't look like the other humans, but he's, he's fine with who he is and how he looks. And I think at some point, you know, he also wanted to know if what happens, he came out, if he came out to the real world, would his classmates accept Mm -hmm. him, right? But Panda, Panda just says, your classmates will accept you for who you are. And that I feel like that was a great connecting point between those two and having, you know, having that confidence to obviously, you know, rebuild Mechamaru and then go on to the real world of, you know, how he's able to control that character. So I thought it was overall very sweet. Um, I think he's also, I think I forgot him about him as first. So I'm glad you brought him back up, Agnes, that Oh, the, mm-hmm. a character like this actually exists, right? In Jujutsu Kaisen, yeah, where everyone's, exactly. everyone's crazy crazy strong, so. Yeah, everyone's an able body, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it's it's hard to remember Mekumaru because Mekumaru's arc was unfortunately sandwiched in the tournament arc. Right. Because the tournament arc starts off as, you know, very uh, shonen-esque. In the beginning, you know, it's a big tournament arc. Everyone gets to fight each other, blah, 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 blah. And then in the second half of the tournament arc, they're confronted by the... Um, the four, the four like great lords, sort of that interrupt a lot of their fights because they want to take back the finger from um, from our main characters, and so that disrupts a lot of it. And you kind of forget almost about Mekumaru's arc. But yeah, I wanted to bring that up because it was pretty important. I would say for sure. Well, all right then. I think that leads just me in regards to my picks. And before I start, I do have a quick question. Was picking your disabled anime characters hard? Did you guys have to browse, you know, databases? Or did you have some in the back of your head immediately ready to be used? I initially started browsing because I was like, you know, the main disabilities that a lot of people like to talk about in anime would be deafness and um, and losing an eye. Right, so right. Right. <laughs> Uh, as as we t- as I prefaced very crudely in a couple other episodes, like you know, a character loses an eye, and that's character co- a character um, development, right? Or if characters lose limbs, like how Fullmetal Alchemist did, where you know Alphonse loses his body, and Edward Elric has his, both of his arm and his leg uh, taken from him. And then we talked about deafness, where it comes in Butchi, and also like Nick from Gangsta. And then using that as a platform, I started to kind of scroll through the data, uh, just the general anime database and kind of think for myself. And I was like, wait a minute, I think there's something that I can do with some of these. And so I started to make a, a longer list. And I'm like, oh, I think I can work off of this somehow. Yeah. Great. So what about you, Isabel? <laughs> yeah, I had the same thing. Actually, I had a couple off the top of my head, but they're kind of Yes, uh, the blind characters, basically. And I thought this episode would be like, okay, we're going to talk about blind characters and deaf characters, right? And I was like, there's got to be more than that. So that's how... Hell yeah. Yeah, that's why I started searching and I thought more about this. And there's definitely more characters than you think there are. Um, Main characters or side characters as well. So, you know, it wasn't... Initial thought, you know, you'll go definitely go to the obvious ones. They're blind and deaf. 
Um, but moving on from that, there's definitely a bunch of other characters um, that I was able to find as well. So. Hey, well, that is great. Um, I wanted to ask because I was in the same boat as you guys. I think it's it's just so easy for us to be like, oh, there's blind and deaf characters, but you know, disability is a lot more than that. So I also wanted to sort of cast a wider net in finding characters to talk about in this week's episode. So my first pick is a really minor character, but I still thought his presence was really powerful and really important. So there is a uh, there is a disabled character in Salary Man's Club, which is an anime about um, you know adults uh, participating in company sort of matches for uh, badminton, and he shows up very briefly, but we see him with a prosthetic leg. And so what happens is one of the main characters, his age is catching up to put simply and due to an old injury is um, his leg is starting to uh, act up again. And so there was a part of him that was thinking for, you know, physical safety reasons, whether he should just quit playing badminton for his company's team, even though he really enjoys it. Um, because at the, at the rate it's going, he's going to really hurt himself and potentially do something that is just not good for him health wise. But he ended up consulting a uh, you know, a trainer to help him uh, establish a new strategy in regards to the badminton uh, competitions. And that trainer is a para, is a, uh, what's a para, I want to say Paralympics, but that's not right because that's, a, that's the actual, Olymp- it is, it is, it's a para, para sports. sports. Okay. Yeah. He para is um, yeah. a retired para sport athlete. So he played badminton with a prosthetic leg. And because of that, he has a lot of specific insights that able-bodied people won't have in regards to how you move your body and what strategies you can employ when you have a particular weaker area in your body. And he's very brief. Like I said, he showed up probably for two total episodes and they were at the very end. But I absolutely adored this inclusion of this inclusion of this character because, first of all, it made me realize I'm like for all the sports anime that that Japan really loves to put out, they have yet to put out a single parasport anime. And I'm like that, which is insane because, you know, we have the Paralympics. We have parasports competitions. They are very professional and very, very important to athletes and to countries. And I'm like, we still don't have an anime about it. And there's a whole roster of them to choose from in that regard. So first of all, anime, pick up your game because you've got plenty more uh, sports things to dip into that would be really important for people to see. So that's one thing that the thought gave me. The second thought is I really love the usage of perspective in this case because I think we are so used to seeing things from the able body's point of view that we forget about how important and how uh, and how uh, helpful and overall just uh, expanding another perspective can be, such as coming from a disabled person with something like strategies to use if your leg isn't as strong in its usage for badminton. And it also kind of reminds me as a whole when, you know, I speak to anybody in a minority group that, you know, I am in a minority group ethnic-wise and I guess and gender-wise, but 
other stuff I'm not. And, you know, when you speak to someone in a in a group that is not in the majority, you know, you lose perspectives and your world grows smaller. And I think that the anime choosing to uh, insert a coach that was a Parasport athlete who is now training people, whether it was children with, you know, prosthetics who want to play badminton or adults who, you know, are dealing with some physical body issues that still want to play sports. That is an ingenious perspective that they're not going to get anywhere anywhere else. And it just shows how important it is to talk to these people, talk to these people and expand your world past the majority bias lens that we grew up, you know, seeing through and listening through and feeling through. And so that's why I picked that particular character from Salary's Man Club, Salary Man's Club, even though it's, he was so small and has such a short presence. I just really love the inclusion of him. So uh, I know that, you know, Agnes, you've seen Salary Man's Club, but I don't know if you finished and got to that part. I didn't finish. So you told me that it was like super surprising. Um, but I really love the fact that when you talked about it and you told that they had an inclusion for Paris sports, I'm like, hell yeah, give it to me. Because I remember when I was at the airport, when I left uh, I recently went to Spain, and when I came back to the U.S., I started seeing that there were a lot of guys that were hug- like lugging a lot of luggage. And my cousin, uh, no, my not my cousins, my family members and I were standing around. They were kind of like, "Why is there so many guys that have so much luggage?" And it turns out that the the biggest part of their luggage was because they're wheelchairs. They are para sport athletes that play like basketball and they were just coming back from a flight from Portugal and I thought that was really cool how you know it's so visible like I got to see it face to face instead of you know kind of see it on the news of like a parasport but actually see like living live human beings that depend on wheelchairs and prosthetics but they're so powerful that they can still compete in a sport you know so that's really cool that they decide to include that in um South um Batman sal- badminton salaryman because a lot like you said a lot of other animes are pretty ableist everyone's in peak condition you know they- and they might have some special powers alongside it <laughs> yeah exactly so like it's it's a really cool perspective to see you know the disabled person but they are able to step it up to the plate and deliver what needs to be done on the on the field yeah, so uh, I'm so sad you uh, you got, uh, you missed that part. Though I'm glad you got to hear it from me instead. Maybe maybe I get uh, maybe I'll pick it up. Maybe I'll yeah. pick it up. Yeah, you can if you do pick it up. Let me know if it made as big of an impact on you as me. It's just I think it's just the novelty of seeing a para a para athlete in a sports anime that's mostly with uh, able bodied characters was just so new to me that I just sprung out. So yeah. So that is my first pick. My second pick is going to be one of those generic ones with, uh, you know, what we talked about that we were trying to avoid. But since no one else picked it, I thought it would be good in this regard to highlight it. But I do have it in my uh, uh, in my backlog to talk about Nick from Gangsta. Hell yeah. I really loved Dick as a character. I mean, I think we all, like, we've talked about how we both, you and I, Agnes both love Gangsta. Actually, uh, Isabel, did you watch that one? <laughs> Oh yes. Isabel was the one that suggested it as like the cool badass. Yeah, actually. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, so all three of us loved Gangsta in that regard. So I wanted to uh, talk about Nick because I kind of like the way that Nick is deaf. And hear me out about this. When I say that I like the way it's deaf, he's deaf, is that 
the way he just is deaf. You know, there's no additional sort of, you know, flowers about his deafness. You know, uh, the people around him, they talk to him via sign language and it's not a big deal. No one blinks and no one really cares. And when, you know, uh, what's her name? Oh, gosh, what's her name? Oh. Alex? Uh, yes, when Alex learns that, you know, he's deaf, then she just started to learn sign language so she could better communicate with him. No big deal. It's just something that you have to do. And I really like how it's incorporated into his characters as well, because Nick is a fighter, obviously, in this very gangsta, literally, anime. But it's not like his deafness gives him superpowers or anything like that, which is something that some people have criticized throughout the years is when they're like, you know, a disability literally makes you into a superpower. They're like, that's not really accurate. But in, in Nick's case, it isn't. His, um, his uh, you know, his deafness is just who he is. And the way he fights and stuff is more to do with other stuff in his past rather than whether he was deaf or not. And I like certain, like, I like these small, subtle nods of, like, how it does affect his life, though. For example, when he charges off and some people, like, call after him, he doesn't respond to that because he can't hear it. And so, and it's, like, this realization where they're, like, oh, crap, like, I gotta, I gotta run in front of him, I gotta, like, flag him down for him to see us because, you know, he can't hear us, and then, and I don't think this moment was animated, but, you know, we talked about reading the manga, and there was, like, that really sweet moment where Alex was singing, and he just very softly and closes his eyes, like, leans against the stereo, so he can hear, he can feel the vibrations. Yes, I, I loved that moment. I think it really shows how... Yes, he can't hear her, but in a way, he still can. It's not like he's lost a connection to a character. It's not like he's more, quote-unquote, inhuman because he's missing a sense, which also actually, like, you know, ties into the actual story itself with, you know, um, with the way that the world is operated. But I do think there is this othering of, you know, disabled characters still in society, even though we're getting better at it, we're pointing it out when it happens, but there is a sense of othering when this hap when, you know, disabled characters and disabled people are around. And it's like, no, they're not othered in any sense. They're people. They're people with just traits that not everyone or most people have. And such as not being able to hear when a friend of yours that you really care about seeing. But that doesn't mean that there aren't ways for them to connect with you. And him leaning against the stereos to feel the vibrations of the sound coming out while Alex was singing actually ties directly into people that we know of someone who is also deaf and who goes to concerts and enjoys concerts because of the vibrations they can feel against their ground so they know how loud and excited everyone is and you know sort of the way the room shakes and they can also get a sense of the feeling of the volume and stuff like that and I think that's really special and really important and and I think the way that they incorporate his deafness into Nick's character where it is part of him but it doesn't define him was just so wonderful and well done. And so that's why I decided to pick Nick as my second pick from Gangsta. So please, the floor is open to you two other Gangsta lovers. You know, heap some praise on him, please. <laughs> I feel like at this point, it, the next six minutes will just be us simping over Nick Brown and that will just literally be it. <laughs> <laughs> So 
yeah. But yeah, seriously, how did you guys think about, like, you know, his deafness and how it integrates into his character and story? You want to take the floor with this one, Isabel? Sure, yeah, I can start. Yeah, I liked him as the character as well. And just, like, having him as a main character was eye-opening and also made the relationship between him and Warwick and Alex just so much deeper. And especially since he grew up with Warwick and how they learned sign language together. And not only that, Nick didn't even know how to write. So Warwick taught him that. And like the, I've, the sign language book that they read together actually meant something to them, you know, for, Oh God, that was a good plot line too. (laughs) For other people, you know, it's just a book. Oh yeah. I learned it, whatever. But for them, it kind of, symbolizes their friendship or like brotherhood that they grew up together so i think that was super sweet other things about nick i think it's also funny how he kind of uses his deafness to his advantage or just makes silly jokes out of it as well like when the cops are after him and they want to tell him something but he's like i can't hear you see you later uh, yeah! <laughs> the yes. he does the same thing with his enemies too yeah, yeah. i think it was the enemy in front of uh, theo's clinic because the, the guy was harassing Theo and um, his little nurse. And the, the guy ends up seeing Nick and he was like yelling insults at Nick. And Nick was like, I, I can't hear you, dude. Like, you can fuck off. But like, okay, sure. <laughs> it was very nonchalant about that. So it was really cool. I think there was even like a, or, or there was like a, like an argument going on between like the, uh, the, the protagonist or like on the side of the protagonist and he just blatantly like turns around so he's like i can't hear it i can't see so i don't know this <laughs> yeah, he just like blatantly ignores it there's also a lot of really funny scenes where nick uses like nonverbal language to convey it i think there's one small omake um in the manga where he and Warwick are trying to help patch up uh constance's gun shop and nick is on the step ladder he's trying to fix something on the hanger and at one point he was kind of like ignoring warwick and warwick at one point like takes a hammer and he kind of like almost like bashes it against nick's knee because he knows like nick is like really strong and whatever because he's a twilight so he can take hits more than like a bash of a hammer from a human and so nick like catapults off the um the step ladder, he falls down, and instead of like yelling an expletive, um, an expletive at Warwick, um, for like for like causing him to crash down and stuff like that, he holds up the, his middle finger. You <laughs> 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 for what you did to me. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. I was like, Nick definitely takes advantage of even his inability to talk and hear things and use like even like normal hand gestures to convey like his irritation or like being generally like approval or happy, you know? So it's really mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, for sure. Ugh, I love him. I love those three. They should come back so I can continue loving them. <laughs> even though I know the story gets really sad and depressing, but still. It's very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's like tragedy upon tragedy, and then every every time you read the new chapter, you just think to yourself, "I wish we can go back." <laughs> Look, as long as it ends on a happy ending, that's I don't all think that it's going to end on a happy note it's because sh- <laughs> uh, Gangsta Curse did not end on a happy note. Well, the, um, the the spinoff between uh, Marco oh. and Constance. Oh, because uh, Gangsta Curse is the prequel to some of the characters' backstories in um, in Gangster, and eventually in Gangster, something happens. Okay, them. okay, but just because one ended sad doesn't mean the other one will end sad. I just, just I don't know, friend! Don't, don't be ultimate in my denial, okay? <laughs> like, 
Alrighty then. Well, uh, a bit of a fun way to end. But uh, basically, thank you everyone once again for listening. I hope you guys really enjoyed us talking about these disabled anime characters and maybe learned some things I definitely have in this week's episode. Actually, this is why I love recording for Girl Taku because I am learning almost every week from what the other two are saying. But hopefully you are getting, you guys are getting the same sort of excitement and fun from us. And if you are, I hope you will be here with us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.